You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Roland Geyer. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Your focus is industrial ecology, and one of your current areas that you're researching is fast fashion. It's all around us, the 21 billion tons of textiles sent to landfills each year. How can we incentivize creating fashion that lasts? And what are some eco-efficient models that you're looking at? Yeah, fashion is, or apparel, clothes is something I got into almost by accident. And then I realized that it's actually a major contributor to environmental impacts, all sorts of environmental impacts. So it's a big deal in terms of sustainability. And it seems to be getting more attention in the current years, which is really encouraging. And the one project that I actually did with Patagonia, the apparel company that's headquartered in Ventura, so really close to our campus in Santa Barbara, we did a project looking at their material choices. And so the idea was to significantly reduce their carbon footprint, their greenhouse emissions by choosing low carbon materials. And the interesting finding that came out of that project was that there aren't really any low carbon or low environmental impact materials. So basically the big takeaway was that all materials have environmental impact. So this this idea of all we have to do is just find that magic green material and then we get sustainable fashion is a pipe dream, really. So that got me thinking about different ways to reduce the environmental impact of fashion. And then one thing that occurred to me is that how fashion really is too cheap and that we expect a t-shirt to cost sometimes even less than $10, just a few dollars. And that one interesting way to actually increase the sustainability of apparel is actually to, and that may sound strange and counterintuitive, to make it more expensive. And one way would be to actually pay fair wages to the garment workers all along the supply chain. And the way this makes fashion more sustainable is that essentially the consumer, so you and I, we pay more money for each individual garment, which means that money, that extra money that goes to the apparel workers is no longer available for us to spend on other things. So I I call it reverse rebound effect because this idea of the rebound. So if things get more efficient, we save money, but then we spend that money on something else. So that something else will also have environmental impact. So that actually reduces the sustainability of efficiency improvements. So that is called rebound effect. And my idea is the reverse, that we actually spend more money on things. And if that money goes to labor, which is something that really has no environmental impacts, then we reduce the environmental impact of our total spending. Yes. I feel like certain brands like Patagonia, that's part of their brand identity is eco-awareness uh, and they don't want to have a, a big carbon footprint. It also occurs to me that you have to perhaps, or do, or do you perhaps take into your modeling psychological incentives because not all brands will be as motivated. Their brand identity isn't as associated with the uh, environment. Absolutely, yeah. So that's always a question that comes up at some point is like, who, who is going to, even if we have great ideas to reduce environmental impact, how are we going to bring them about? So how, who is going to implement them and why would they want to? And that is 
for me, it is the million dollar questions. I actually think it is easier to come up with more sustainable ways of making things and using things than it is to actually affect that change. So change our consumption habits, change companies' production systems. But the best answer, honestly, Mia, I, I have there is that it's it needs to be a collective effort. There needs to be a societal will somewhere <laughs> that motivates those changes. And for me, that broadly, that could either it could be the company itself, if it has motivated leadership or motivated owners, like in the case of Patagonia, right, it's privately owned and the owner or the owner family is very environmentally motivated. So that makes things easier. If the company is not the one, then, you know, like in the early 2000s or late 90s, there was a lot of excitement about the emergence of the green consumer. So the that suddenly consumers really wanted to reduce the environmental impact of their consumption and they were willing to pay extra price premium for that greenness of those products. And as I said, there was a lot of excitement about 20 years ago, and then it died down a little bit because what happened was that surveys, basically researchers conducted surveys asking individuals, would you like green products and would you be willing to pay a price premium for said greenness? And everyone said, yes, I'd, I'd love that. And that's how the excitement about the green consumer was born. But then they there was additional research that followed people, you know, actually looked at what they were actually buying in real life, not just saying they wanted to buy and they didn't quite follow through. So there, there was a gap between what consumers would like to do and what they actually do. We need to find ways to bridge that gap. I think there is real willing, but then there seem to be obstacles in, in follow through. And to be honest, I notice that myself, even, you know, when I'm stressed and in a rush and then I don't behave in the ways that I'm not my best self and I don't make the decisions that I ideally I would like to make. So I think it's about then creating that environment that, that enables or encourages consumers to be their best selves. How to do that? The, the, the final lever, I think, to bring about real change is policy, of course, public environmental policy. So if businesses on their own can't do it, if households on their own, if it's too difficult for them, then there, there is policy, which also is in the end, a collective expression, hopefully of, of societal will. There's a, a really interesting law that came into effect in Germany. I think it was like uh, very recently, maybe last year, with one of those terrible German names where they just put four nouns together. I think it's, it's Lieferkettengesetz or something like that. And But what it says is that it requires manufacturers to make sure that in their supply chains, fair wages are being paid and best environmental practices are being used. So it, it creates, you know, a, a legislative requirement for the manufacturers to improve the social and environmental sustainability of their supply chains. And I, I think it's too early to say how it's going to play out this law, but I'm quite excited about it. Hey, Dr. Geyer. So in your latest book called The Business of Less, you presented another analytical framework called Ed Green, which you believe to be better suited than the win-win paradigm 
to analyze the sustainable system. And I find this to be very interesting. So perhaps you can expand a bit upon that. Yeah, I'm very happy to do that, Kevin. So the win-win paradigm is very appealing. And also the idea of eco-efficiency is very appealing that basically we just need to reduce the environmental impact of every product we make. And that's been part of my research for a long time. And so there were a few things that I noticed over the years in my research, and that's sort of twofold. One is that it seems that there are sort of physical limits to eco-efficiency. So you can't just design energy and material use and pollution entirely out of product systems, right? That was one of the visions of the nineties. You know, there's a famous quote by Michael Porter. He's actually a business, you know, a strategy professor at Harvard Business School. He said, pollution is resource efficiency. The idea is that we could just design pollution out of the system, but that's not really physically possible. If you study the physics of making things, you can't completely design pollution out of the system. So there are physical limits to the efficiency, which we can do things. And then the other thing I noticed is that even if we manage to halve the environmental impact per say unit product, but at the same time, we double the total output of those products. We've basically are exactly where we were before, only that now we get twice as many products for the same environmental impact. The earth is finite. So the earth, like we're already kind of exceeding the carrying capacity of the earth in terms of environmental pollution. So we need to reduce absolute pollution, not relative pollution, right? Pollution per product. And that's where net green comes in. And it's a change of our perspective. So rather than asking, say, what is the environmental impact per ton of steel or per ton of aluminum, it's, which is eco-efficiency, right? But then at the same time, we're doubling aluminum production every 20 years or something. The question is that change that we are considering reuse model, a redesign in your product, what are the net environmental consequences? of this change. And, and if one of the consequences is a growth in total consumption, then you need to account for that in your net green measurement. And so you couldn't by you couldn't, you know, like eco-efficiency would say, oh, great. We halved environmental impact per ton of aluminum. That's amazing. Net green would say, okay, so you halved environmental impact per ton of aluminum, but that you now also doubled aluminum output. So actually we're exactly where we were before. Does that make sense? So that's, it's sort of a shift of perspective in order to really account for all the implications of a change in a product system, a change in the supply chain in order to not fall into that, what I would call eco-efficiency trap. Thanks. And that really makes sense. But I wonder how much corporate buy-in this idea can garner, you know? Considering that win-win paradigm is built to calm the feud between the corporate industries and the environmental activists, do you worry that the replacement of the win-win paradigm by the net green can reignite the conflict between the two groups? Yeah, Kevin, that's, I think that's a really astute question. I really hope it does not. I'm, you know, I, I think it's good that we got away from this sort of dichotomy between 
environmentalism and business. But at the same time, I want us to be realistic. I don't want us to pretend that we're making all these corporate sustainability strides where in fact we're not. So I'm asking, I, I think there are two things that are going on. I, first of all, I just want everyone in the corporate sustainability space to be realistic about what we're doing and where we're headed and whether we're actually making progress or not. And so far, I feel feedback's been really positive from the sort of corporate sustainability community. It, it is easier. You're absolutely right. It's much easier as, say, a CEO or a corporate professional to fall in love with eco-efficiency than to embrace net green because net green is the harder concept. Clearly, it challenges the idea that basically win-win is sort of, you know, that expression, having your cake and eating it too, is like the idea that win-win tells companies, oh no, you can be relentless profit maximizers, but you can be sustainable at the same time. You actually don't have to, you know, there is no trade-off to be made. There is, there is no contradiction in those two. And I just, I think it becomes increasingly obvious that there is, and we just need to be honest about it. And I think some companies will not want to embrace that. I know, you know, some companies and, and some corporate sustainability professionals are sort of, they just want to be honest and they say, okay, if win-win hasn't worked, let's see it, what else we can do. And I think net green is just, business is not the enemy. Business is how we organize life. Business is how we make things, move things. Most people are employed by a business or own a business. So business is us, right? It's how we organize our life. So it's not about saying business is the enemy, but I think what it's saying is that business, the way we've done it so far, business as usual, is never going to be environmentally sustainable and we just need to be honest about it and as you reflect on your own journey of discovery which i think yeah. uh, characterizes your own education what are your reflections on how we might make provide a more robust a climate environmental education you must see yourself a professor just even and even among young students how can that be more integrated more dis multidisciplinary more vocational in, in terms of education, I would love it if different aspects of environmental sustainability just became, as you say, integrated into the curriculum of pretty much every grade in school and then also in gen college education that you don't have to make it all the way to college and then decide to major in environmental science in order to get that type of education and that kind of knowledge. I think it's, it's much more basic and much more important than that. It should be something, you know, it should be sort of part of general education, I would say, because it's that important. And I know that I have teenage children, so they went through elementary school and then middle school here, here in the US. And I know there are many teachers that try actually to integrate these subjects, you know, into the sciences, into STEM more broadly, even into social sciences, which I think is, is great, but I think it's mostly, I see it still as, you know, they have to make that sort of personal effort. It would be great if it was just more integrated into the, the official curriculum so that 
people don't have to, like me, don't have to wait until their late 20s before they can really learn about environmental sustainability. They just learn it just like they learn social sciences in STEM. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this program. If you would like to get involved in One Plan Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.